Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Yeah, hi, Tom. Not too bad, thank you. Uh, surviving in sort of strange times. Yeah, it is, it is a bit strange, but you guys at, at Locker27 have been doing some pretty good work on, on the socials, on the Instagram, keeping everybody involved. How's that going? Yeah, that's fine. It's more a question of trying to make sure that people still have an avenue to train and that you can actually make improvements in some of your training um, and, and not be totally limited by the fact that you generally can't get to any gym and don't have any kit. Um, but you can still do a hell of a lot of stuff with body weight and uh, and making sure that you're moving, maybe working on some more capacity type things rather than anything else. But I think there's always a potential to get better. It's just being creative and making sure you know what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are being quite, uh, yeah, ingenious and like you said, creative with, with what they're doing with different bits of kit, filling up bags and getting uh, finding some space wherever they live that they didn't really realize they had and, and and actually doing the simple stuff um so it's yeah it's really really like i said it's interesting times strange times as well but um before we go on just joe tell us a little bit about yourself tell us a little bit about locker 27 uh so i've been working for locker um getting on for six to seven years now with a bit of a gap in the middle um so i was at locker when i was first starting out as an snc coach so i was at, with locker and a few other things sort of just after my master's degree and I got to the University of Gloucestershire and then I was at Locker for a couple of years then and I went off to work in Singapore for a company called YouthFit um, over there and during that time I was also running the men's rugby sevens program for three years um, so that was good we went to a couple of C games and, and played in the Asian series over there so I was running the FC program and then I came back to head up the Locker in terms of the coaching. Cool so you've um, you've been a bit all over the place what what's your history sport wise like what what what's your sport have you, or have you done a multitude of sports so I started off as a rugby player I was a rugby player for uh, you know for all of my childhood I dabbled in various other things but rugby was always the thing I was most passionate about um, I was never that good really uh, relatively speaking but I played at an okay level at university and things like that I, I heard I had a bit of speed a bit of gas <laughs> bit of bit of speed bit of gas well, you, but you're I'll, telling me that anyway so I don't know whether that's <laughs> in my head or not well there was a bit of speed there but um i was unfortunate enough to have several sort of major knee operations so you find that your gas is is severely limited after probably operation three so i stopped playing rugby around 22 and then got into into road cycling into mountain biking that sort of stuff because it was a it was an option that was there um dabbled in a bit of weightlifting and then kind of just moseyed along from there really Cool, cool. So, what what is it about strength and conditioning and athletic development that you you like the most? I think a lot of it stems from when I was um, broken and sort of rehabbing and stuff like that. You start to, to to read about what the kind of things that you need to be doing, and and you realise that there's there's a huge amount of information out there, and it's so much of it is being able to distill that information and, and realise what is worth reading and what isn't worth reading. And I think that that's a that's a huge part, and a big part of me believes that if I had been prepared properly for the physical demands of the game I was playing, um, I might not have been quite as injured as I was. So I did suffer with injuries um, frequently throughout the, my sort of playing career. So I do believe that if I was better trained as a as a youth, as an adolescent, I might not have been quite so damaged by the time I got to sort of early twenties. Yeah, so I guess it's a little bit empathetic, really. You uh, you want to help people from from the the, the pitfalls that, that maybe you had along the way as well, and uh, and show some interest there. But I guess you can align it with lots of different sports and lots of different people from the same from the same world as well. Um, great. So what I want to talk to you about, I want us to have a a good conversation about about is um, strength and conditioning as a whole, um, what it is, what it looks like, why it's important, but obviously then. 
why is it important for goalkeepers and, and throwing a few other uh, questions in there that might be relevant for those of us or those goalkeepers or hockey players in general that are thinking about adding a strength and conditioning programme to their to their week. Um, so first and foremost, it's a really basic question, mate, but what is strength and conditioning and why is it important? So S&C is, a, is almost a bit of a strange term in some ways. It's almost a bit of a misnomer in as much as it doesn't necessarily encapsulate absolutely everything that it should do. You can actually think about S&C as more of a, it's physical preparation. And then you can link that to whatever your demands need to be, whether it's sport, whether it's uh, day-to-day life, is it sort of a professional thing or is it an amateur thing? So um, obviously, as the name would suggest, you've got strength and conditioning. It's part of that. Do you have the the requisite power? Can you produce, is your your body strong enough to actually produce the strength and the power to do certain things and to move in a certain way? Um, And then obviously the conditioning side of things is how many times can you repeat that? Are you fit enough? for the demands of your task. And again, that can be anything from a 100-meter sprinter to a Tour de France athlete. They still require um, some form of conditioning, but it's being conditioned to the task at hand, and that's really the, the most important thing. With us at the locker, we have kids from as young as sort of seven and eight that come to us who obviously are you know, young kids, and they're, they're not going to be lifting sort of super heavy weights or getting under a bar and doing complex tasks as such. And then we might have someone at the other end of the scale that is a professional athlete that's coming into us for, for a specific reason or a specific task to get either to rehab an injury or to get better at their, at their again at their task. And that can be a very specific thing or it can be a bit more generalized. But, you know, we work, like I say, with ki- really young kids who need a super general, super um, engaging type thing. So lots of throwing and jumping and, and landing and that sort of stuff right through to guys who might need to do a very specific task. Um, so there's loads and loads of different challenges and obviously we have everyone in between there from um, from a teenage athlete looking to try and get into an elite setup all the way through to someone who might be kind of competing in marathons, Ironman, cycling races, whatever that is. And they're in the older stages of life, sort of 50s, 60s. So really we have a massive range of people that come into us, which always keeps us on our toes. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, obviously you, you've mentioned the, 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 diff, the, the two elements, the strength element. And the conditioning element as well that's, that's sort of simplified and what it all uh, consists of. But obviously, from from my point of view, coaching goalkeepers specifically, um, what why is strength and conditioning so important in in your eyes for the work that we've done together with goalkeepers that have either come into the uh, come into the gym or you've seen on the pitch as well? Why why is it important specifically for goalkeepers? Firstly, I think if you look at the demands that a keeper has to or the demands of the sport for the keeper, a keeper specifically, you know, they're taking quite a lot of big impacts coming on and off of the floor and they have to have lots of explosive efforts, some of which might have to be repeated quite quickly back to back if you're thinking about a multiple save situation where you have a rebound shot that comes out or you might need to produce a great deal of power to get out to the ball or get to the corner of a net from what might be a quite a disadvantageous position if you're crouched at the sort of bottom left and you've got to get top right. Hockey goal isn't that large, but that's still a good distance to cover in what's going to be a fraction of a second. So uh, the strength element can be can be thought of as, do you have the requisite strength levels to explode out of position one? Let's take that bottom left and get up to position two, which could be a fully extended position looking for a ball in the top right-hand side of the, right-hand side of the goal. So you've got a lot of work to do to get there, and the actual power that you have to produce is, is super important there. And it's not only the sort of getting from A to B, but it's also about being resilient enough to take the impacts of playing hockey at either a sub-elite or an elite level. Yeah, I think um, 
people don't quite realise, and from my own personal experience, going from um, someone that, that stopped playing hockey about four or five years ago, stopped training twice a week, going to the gym a couple of times a week, um, lifting, I'm not going to say heavy because it wasn't heavy, <laughs> but lifting a bit. So there's some force that I had to uh, had to produce as well. Um, to somebody that then has gone into a more endurance sport and then gone back on the pitch and realised what I had lost in terms of my ability to repeat um, quick, powerful movements on the pitch, getting up off the floor, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, you don't realise, especially I think when you're younger, how you are just generally conditioning yourself to a point in on, on a pitch by, by repeating certain moves. But at the same time, the whole point of strength and conditioning is that what what where's the ceiling? Where can we get that to by applying a little bit more force um, through strength training and being a bit more specific as well? And, and like you said, through the conditioning, can we do it again and again? And I think um, for me, strength and conditioning is is unbelievably important, not just for from a performance point of view, but from a robustness point of view as as well. So you mentioned before about. Um, your own personal experiences on the rugby rugby pitch and, and, and injuries. Where does strength and conditioning sit for you in terms of uh, injury prevention? I think for me it sits in the kind of the realm where the there is a point in which you can do too much for sure um, when you when you, it becomes detrimental. But in terms of resilience and an injury prevention point of view, there's no denying that if you are a stronger more robust individual, you're going to have less of those kind of repeated injuries, all those impact injuries. Injuries will always happen. Uh, that's just part and parcel of playing as playing a sport, and some people are very lucky, and some people are quite unlucky in terms of and what they what they have to go through. But you can definitely mitigate those circumstances by being, like I say, that bit more resilient. If you can produce force faster, as an example, those landings are going to take less out of you because you can actually push back against the ground, if that makes sense, as you're landing, as you're as you're going through those positions, and also from a position of not just like an impact type thing, but if I'm trying to produce a lot of force and I'm trying to get out to something. If I'm stronger and that, that, that muscle and that tendon have a bit more resilience to it, the chance of me pulling or tearing that tendon or muscle is, is smaller because they're capable of withstanding greater forces. But that doesn't just come from um, work you do in the gym. That also comes from stuff uh, on the hockey pitch, like you say, specific keeping drills and that sort of stuff. Um, but they will only get you so far to a certain extent. The most specific thing is obviously the, the keeping drills. But you can raise the ceiling of what you're able to do in, within those by becoming more by becoming more strong, more explosive, and that will allow you again to tolerate those forces better, which should mean hopefully less injuries along in, along the way. Yeah, and I think we probably don't put enough emphasis on that from a younger younger age. And I guess it leads me on to the the next couple of questions that I've got for you. Um, you see a lot, uh, especially on social media as well, and you think sort of there's things sort of the top end Olympic athletes, world class athletes. They've got their strength and conditioning programs that are honed to them, uh, either individually or as a team as well. But is it? I think we pretty much know the answer to this question. But is it just for elite athletes? And I guess the next question from there is: if you're specifically looking at goalkeepers, and your timeline is probably a lot of training through the adolescent period to then training in adulthood 20 to 35, let's say. How do those things differ in what they, they look like? Probably quite a big question, so hopefully you can simplify it for us. <laughs> yeah, I'll do, I'll do my best. So I think the main thing to remember is when people look at Instagram and social media and, and elite athletes doing their personalised S&C work, 
people only see the very top. They only see the cool stuff. What they haven't seen from that is the years and years and years that athletes probably spent doing the doing the basics from what you'd assume would probably be quite a young age. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but for a lot of elite athletes, they have been training for 10, 15 years in a really, really good environment and a really good manner. So it's about making sure that people don't just take what they see on social media and take that one small snippet and go, that's what I'm going to do because that's what they're doing. They are doing that, but what they've done beforehand allows them to perform those, those movements and those, those amazing things that you see these elite guys doing. Now, if you bring that back a little bit, Everything has to be built on a foundation. If you just go straight up and up and up and up in a, in a spire almost, if you visualize it, that's going to fall over at some point, and that's where we end up getting injured through our training. And as athletes, that's almost like a, a cardinal sin. You know, you shouldn't, your, your training should never injure you. Your training should only be negating that fact or getting you better. It should never be uh, making you worse. And I think that's a really important point. I mean, I think a lot of S&C coaches – uh, sometimes almost feel that their thing is the most important thing, but their most important thing is actually that person being on the field. And if we look at it from, an, uh, from a junior all the way through to an elite thing, generally what you're going to see is a trend is very general exercises, okay, to, through right the way through to very specific exercises. And like we spoke about earlier with some of our youngest athletes that we have down at the locker, they can be seven or eight, and their program is really about building a toolbox. It's can you throw, can you jump, can you run, can you land can, in strange positions? Can you, can you move your body in certain ways? Do you understand what we're asking you to do? And we'll start there, and that can be just games and fun and hopping and jumping and all that sort of stuff. And then as kids get older and they turn from you know, kids into adolescent athletes, that's when we start to think about being a little bit more specific with the movements we're asking to do. Then you start to bring in things like, do you have variations of squatting, of single leg movements, of pulling, of pushing, um, of lateral movements? But that doesn't mean to say that we take out those those movements of exercise, of throwing, of sprinting, of running, of jumping. And again, we need to build that big foundation. Over the course of 10 to 15 years, this is a long-term thing. I mean, it's important that you build that big foundation in order for people to be able to build on it. If you don't have that foundation, then it becomes very, very hard to build on. And I think that's where things get lost, looking at that kind of deluge of social media things that people can, can see. Um, and I, believe, I fully believe that almost any age that they can follow a task, that you can start doing a quote-unquote strength and conditioning program. What it would appear to be would not necessarily be termed strength and conditioning like we're talking about with the younger kids. But again, those things and being able to produce and absorb force in strange ways, like I say, by running, throwing, jumping, landing, that then allows the progression to be doing specific drills going into the elite and you essentially get more and more specific as that athlete ages. One of the things we look for as, a, as an S&C coach is not just like a biological age or a training age. We also look at, uh, sorry, not a biological, biological age or a chronological age. We also look at a training age. So we might have an 18-year-old who is a superb athlete. He's never sort of stepped foot in the gym before. We can't then go straight to the kind of, the movements that we might necessarily want to do with an athlete who's an 18, say, elite level goalkeeper. We'd still need to teach him the foundations because otherwise we're, we're shooting way, way higher than we need to. We can still get fantastic gains in strength, power, speed, resilience, just by doing the basics at that point. Only when have you sort of nailed on the basics and got through all of those movements do you need to start worrying about getting super specific like the guy, like again, the things you see on, on social media. 
Yeah, you've done really well at actually answering the next three or four questions that I had for you, to be honest, to be honest Jay. And which, which which is brilliant. And I'm just trying to like um get my if I'm if I'm a either a coach or a goalkeeper myself at, at varying um levels, whether I'm just starting out or it's I'm slightly older, um like how is this going to be relevant for me? And I think specifically in, in the situation where we are at the moment, we've we've obviously had discussions with um, what we could be doing right now in isolation when you don't have the things that you would normally have access to and all the things you've just been speaking about with your, let's say, for lack of a better expression, let's say your sort of fundamental foundation type movements um, and how can you add loads to your training session where you need it. Um, we spoke a little bit about, you know, single leg squats, things like that, things that can that we can do more easily from home. Is there things like that that you can help um, sort of explain a little bit more about so that people can do them themselves in, their, in isolation at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with... Um, a lot of the movements that, to, in order to make them harder, people kind of get a bit lost without the the main kind of variable, which is normally intensity. Intensity and SNC we deem as load or a percentage of one repetition maximum, something like that. And people can sometimes get quite lost if they can't progress their intensity. But there are a number of ways that you can do it, and intensity doesn't always have to mean load. So if we talk about progressing regular, as kind of quote unquote exercises, things that you see in the gym every day, squatting, push ups, pull ups, etc. If we don't have access to load, we can do lots of different things to change that up. So in terms of using a squat as an example, or moving from a back squat to things like a pistol squat or a skater squat or a lateral squat or things like that, where you're on one leg and then that one leg has to do double the amount of work. And it becomes very, very tough very, very quickly if you're kind of performing those, those movements with the same range, control and intent that you'd be performing a back squat at. People kind of look at some single leg movements, some unilateral movements and bodyweight stuff as it won't be heavy enough. But there's nearly always a modification that you can put on there that will make it pretty, pretty tough. You know, even if you're particularly good at single leg squatting, if you perform that with a with an elevated heel, so you're kind of performing it just balancing on your forefoot, and that puts a loads more stress to the knee itself in a good way, not necessarily a bad way, um, then you can change that single leg squat to be really, really tough. And you haven't added any external load. You've only changed the position in which you're in. And again, that goes for a lot of stuff. Um, you can also use things like uh, isometrics to add intensity. So if you're pulling or pushing against an immovable object, imagine you're trying to push down the wall of your house. That can give you a really good opportunity to to work a muscle at its maximum capacity. But again, you're not you don't need weight. You don't need anything other than a wall. But check that wall stable first, obviously. Um, and then you've also got things like density and volume. So do you do if we're looking at density, you can do more work in the same time. So that can give you uh, a stronger stimulus in terms of like a capacity type thing. And then volume is simply just doing more of it. So you can do more of that work. Uh, but again, if we're not talking about gym, sort of gym exercises, for me, this kind of isolation, so long as you have an, ava uh, an available area that's safe and you can kind of adhere to all the things you need to adhere to, this is the perfect opportunity to work on speed because speed requires nothing more than a bit of space. And that and, and maximal sprinting and maximal speed work is some of the most intense stimuluses you can put your body through. But it's something that gets missed out a lot because people want to get into the gym a lot and they want to shift big weights and stuff like that. So actually, I think this is a great opportunity for any athletes to be able to go and, 
and work on those elements that they don't normally have time to work on because of training and gym time and all that sort of stuff. Get out there and sprint and change direction. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd also sort of throw something into that as well that, that you, you've just mentioned about the things that you don't have time to do, but actually we're just registering how important they are. So perhaps what really why aren't we doing them anyway? And whenever we've had, we've, you know, we've got you in to help us with some sessions and, and educate some goalkeepers on things like sprint, mechanic, sprint mechanics and mobility and, and, and that sort of thing and giving them some other things to think about and work on especially some of our younger goalkeepers was as well. So it helps with their, their education. Um, we always say at the end, if you do five, 10 minutes of this every session, think about how much volume you'll be putting into the rest of your, your season when you're training two, three times a week or training twice and one game, like you're adding that half an hour block wood in your training. Week. And it might just be something to do with your impact on the floor or any, um, any sort of other conditioning that you do with 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 either trying to create more force or whatever it is <laughs> i'm talking to the expert here you know what i'm talking about um and how that how that will be really important yes this is a really good time for us to be adding those things in but i i also think we we could and should be doing them anyway which is why i think you know gimmicks aside Absolutely. it's 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 super important for us to do it. i mean i've i've fortunate enough to have a little bit of space outside where uh, we've been doing some videos uh, for for our goalkeepers and anybody else who wants to look at them on on YouTube and follow a bit of a program and some of the you guys have helped us with this with as well I've got that space but if you if you don't and you do want to do a session as you're saying in um, whether it's sprint mechanics you literally need well we've done a, a lot of work um, in a space that's only you know as, as wide as your your hand span really your arm span um, which is you know, it's really useful, really simple. But like I said, it does show us what potentially we could be doing on the pitch when, you know, it's it's normal times we're out of uh, out of lockdown. Yeah, totally. So I mean, obviously, some of the things that you, we've worked together on um, when I've come and sort of had chats with your goalkeepers and things like that is that basic sort of plyometricy type stuff. So plyometrics are termed as sort of a very fast muscular contraction that basically teaches your body to be more elastic. So if we think about the body acting as a bit more of a spring, the more springy you can get and the more kind of elastic you can be. Some of the some of the qualities that can be built up from that are fantastic. And again, that comes back around to our speed and our power. If we can teach ourselves to be nice and stiff and springy when we hit the floor and things like that, it can really, really help us with that push off of the line. Um, and again, these things don't take a lot of time and it's about a constant, consistent and constant exposure. And as you mentioned, those warm-up times for me are especially important, especially for keepers, because you know you're probably not going to be, well, you're probably not going to be doing some of those sort of on-field drills with the guys that are starting to do um, in, in warm-ups and stuff like that. So this is a really great opportunity to develop those power levels and develop those um, those plyometric contractions that we're talking about. And again, like like you said, you need no more than a square meter and a solid bit of floor with some headspace. You can work on jumps. You can work on uh, on pogos, on single leg, on double leg, you know, lots of rebounding stuff. And it, it, it really doesn't need to be um, any space. And it's a perfect time right now where we don't have access to kit and we don't have necessarily have access to space to work on those things and, and think about what can you implement into your warm-ups when you do get back to playing hockey, which is where we all want to be. Yeah. And and whilst you're talking about, about that, I, I, a thought comes into my mind about... Um, the mindset of, of some goalkeepers 
and uh, their motivation about why they they play in goal sometimes might be because they are a little bit more averse to to running around a hockey pitch and doing what we would associate pretty closely with with fitness and you know that feeling of heavy lungs heavy legs um, something that yeah it's not pleasant for, for for anyone but it but it's a necessity but it's totally different from a from a, a goalkeeping element you fundamentally you'll need a base won't you you'll need a base capacity um, aerobically speaking but you're like you went we're talking about at the beginning your ability to repeat speed is where that conditioning comes in but I, am i right in thinking that without that base that's going to be harder i don't know whether you can help ex- explain that Abs- absolutely so you want to think about your base as as your recovery capacity I mean, obviously it's very different from an outfield player and you know talking at the elite level these guys are covering eight to nine k a game sometimes you know maybe even more especially especially your midfielders and your, and your strikers, defenders less so. But um, whilst clearly you don't need the same level of aerobic capacity as, as on-field players, the aerobic capacity you can you can have is so, so important for every athlete. And um, even if we take it right to the extreme and even go sort of someone who's even less reliant on like an aerobic capacity than a, than a goalkeeper, we talk like a weightlifter or a powerlifter even, who perform six to nine maximal efforts and that's their competition they only do that once every sometimes at the elite level once every six months to a year they still require aerobic capacity and it's exactly the same for goalkeepers if you think about your aerobic system that does that's the kind of thing that allows you to do those repeated efforts over and over and over if you have no aerobic capacity you could do one big all-out effort and make a couple of great saves in a row but you are going to be slower the next time round. that ball comes into your d I think it's so important that people understand the, the need for that aerobic system to to not only maintain stuff within a session, within a game, or if you're playing multiple games in a day, you need to be able to recover from the stress of game one to game two. But also, it's a it's a huge factor in can I train week a sort of day to day and week to week at a high level? Can I perform in training sessions with one on one with you know a keeping coach like yourself, or can I perform well in my in my team training session, can I perform well in the gym? And the fitter you are aerobically, the less you're going to have to try to recover yourself in between those in between those stresses. So it's not just about what what does the pitch demand of you, because the pitch does demand a small amount of aerobic capacity in terms of getting up off the deck and, like I say, making those repeated maximal efforts in order to get out, get up, get up, etc. But it's can I recover from doing that a few times in a row the next time it happens and then we go bigger you know to the next game to the next training session in between training sessions sometimes you might have to train twice in a day you might have to do the gym in the morning or your whatever and then train uh with the, with the team at night and that could be a double day on a tuesday and if you're not very fit you're really going to struggle that tuesday night session if you've been in the gym tuesday morning so i think the fitter you are just the better you're going to be all round. and could you uh, let's say there's a practical example to, to go with that. So let's say you've got, in an ideal world, you've got uh, two gym sessions a week that are either strength or power related or, or conditioning related, but you've got an, an aerobic-based um, session in there somewhere. In a really simple, simplistic way, what, what could that look like, um, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch? What could that look like? 
I think for me, it's one of those where actually the choice can be massively athlete dependent. It depends on what you like. If you really enjoy getting on the bike or even if you don't necessarily enjoy it, but that's the least, uh, that's the thing you dislike the least, <laughs> um, then that's something you can do. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be running based, it doesn't have to be shuttle based. It can even be getting on a bike, it can be performing some form of circuit training where you're keeping your heart rate at a, at a medium sort of level. So what we, what we term as sort of zone two to three, which isn't particularly hard work, but it's about keeping that aerobic system topped up. It doesn't have to be, like you say, that heavy legs, heavy lungs, really hammering yourself because that's going to be tough. And again, like you say, sometimes people don't enjoy that. And I don't think it's necessarily a, for keepers, especially it's not a, a sort of a, uh, an absolute requirement to, to really hammer into those sessions. But I think those 45 minutes to 90 minute aerobic sessions, that's probably where you're going to find the most benefit in terms of recovery point of view. And if you're moving in different ways, say for example, we take a circuit where you're doing some jumps, some swings, some push-ups, some pull-ups, a few body weight squats. There's not a huge amount of load involved, but if you move continually through those, uh, say potentially 10 movements for 40 minutes or so, it can actually make you feel much, much better because you've got a bit of a sweat on. You've moved in potentially different ways that's sort of given you some extra mobility work in there as well at the same time. It's giving you some extra flexibility work because you're moving whilst the body's warm in potentially some different movement patterns. And that can only be a good thing in terms of increasing our athleticism and our coordination. And you develop your aerobic capacity at the same time. And if that's something that, that works for you, that works for you equally. You might just want to sit on a watt bike for 45 minutes to 60 minutes at around that sort of 140 heart rate and that's all that's going to do a job as well it all comes down to the individual and what is the most tolerable thing for you to do if you are particularly sort of conditioning averse so you can get some great benefits to your um to your cardiovascular system just by tapping away at what feels like a relatively low effort um there's a great phrase that sort of medium only works in t-shirts you know you, you want your conditioning to be real hard and real nasty and, and especially from a keeping point of view um, you, you want your, your fast days to be fast and your slow days to be slow. Great. I think that's yeah, nice, nice and clear, which is um, I think useful for, for any, any goalkeeper or hockey, well, certainly goalkeepers that are, that are out there at, at the moment. Um, let's say you've got a session that you only had one session a week. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, if you've got some fundamental things you would throw in into that, it might be specific movements or it might just be sort of overarching principles about about what that session could look like. Could you kind of paint a little bit of a picture for us for, for what that might be? So if you're talking like a 13, 14 year old guy or guy or girl who's looking to kind of come into that, that S&C realm, there's some, some sort of foundational movements that we'd want to we'd make sure that you're, you're consistently competent at. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be lifting big weights, and that's really not the kind of thing we're chasing for a 13 to 14-year-old athlete. What we're look, really looking for is quality and quality movement. So within that session, um, assuming that you're able to do a little bit of speed work out on the pitch with kind of your outfield guys and you're doing, you are doing some sprinting and things like that, we'd look to do some, some jumps. So it can be start with literally just a counter-movement jump, so jump straight up in the air and stick the landing. By stick the landing, we mean absorb that force hard and fast and stay in a good position so your knees aren't caving you know your back's back's pretty flat and you're able to absorb that force in in, like I said a good quote-unquote position Um, and so you think about some form of jumping and again that can be two legs that can be one leg can be forwards backwards sideways vertical you know however and get good at all of those be able to jump in all different directions on two legs on one leg 
Um, again, we'd look to that, that to be your power type element. And apart from that, we're looking at really building that toolbox and we want to make sure we're covering a lot of movement within that session. So you generally look for something explosive, which could be covered by our jumps. And then we generally look for some form of knee dominant exercise on two legs or one leg. That could be a squat or a lunge or a single leg squat. And again, there's a lot of different options there. We'd look for a push. So some form of upper body push. So you're pushing things away from, so again, the obvious one is push-ups or dumbbell overhead press or something along those lines. Uh, a pull, again, you think chin-ups or, or rows or a pull under like a TRX row. Um, some form of hinge or a hip dominant movement. Again, this can be two legs, it can be one leg. Um, we look at maybe a brace in there. So can you resist movements? Um, and that, again, people think about braces, you know, it has to be a plank, but again, there's lots of different braces. They'll be bracing kind of laterally as in our side to side movement. Can we brace um, from a rotation point of view? So can we avoid being pulled in a certain direction? Or it can be as simple as like a, what you term an anti-extension exercise, like a dead bug or a plank. And then some form of rotation we'd want to have in there as well to make sure that things are sinking. So that could be a med ball throw. It could be a band chop. There's loads of different options again. But we'd look to potentially cover all of those within a single session. And then from there, again, it's about building that toolbox. So if we've done, just as an example, say, for example, we've done bilateral squatting. Okay, and that can, again, people think squatting and they see these big guys with huge weights on their back. It doesn't have to be that there's an enormous number of variations and it can just be a bodyweight squat or a, or a goblet squat holding a load in front of you sort of like this. Um, just have my hands in front of me. Um, and it can be starting there and then say we'll do that for three to four weeks and then potentially we might move into a split squat. So your feet are kind of one in front of the other and you're bending both knees simultaneously to touch your back into the ground. Again, they're both a knee dominant movement depending on how you perform a split squat. They're both a knee-dominant movement, and we're just building that toolbox. So once you've kind of learned squatting, we'll move on to split squatting, and then we probably might revisit regular squats again, but change it up slightly. So it could be overhead, it could be a front squat. You know, who knows? You change that load. But the idea would be that not only are those things going to increase your performance in the short term, because you're going to hopefully learn to move better. When that athlete, say 13, 14, has spent a couple of years building this exercise toolbox when they start to need to load it and really develop that power or say for example they do get picked up by a, a regional or an inter or a sort of a national level um club or coach or um organization sorry when they're given those snc programs to go away and do they can look at that and go cool all of those i can do i'm already competent at them um, and then you're going to be able to develop those qualities when you need them because you've done all the learning already and that's actually quite a good way of looking at it you want to think about those first couple of years in quote unquote a strength and conditioning program as building your toolbox learning what you need to do and so that when you do need to actually really start to produce those forces when you start playing senior hockey um, and the demands of the game are greater you have the ability to train at a level that's going to be beneficial and you're not having to go right back to a, to a light bar and learn those exercises because you know exactly what you're doing already. You know the exercise, you know how to perform them, and what's more, you know how to read that program. It's not just a physical literacy thing. It's being able to, to look at an S&C program and go, okay, cool, sweet. I understand that you know, three by eight at 70% means three sets of eight reps at 70% of my one rep maximum. There's, uh, there's loads of stuff in that and I think what's really good is that all of this all these things are quite simple to do in in even if you 
don't have access to to a gym as well, whether you're in isolation or or not. Um, so that's really useful to be able to to know and actually value that side of it, that side of it too. Well, but to to recap, strength and conditioning, we spoke about that at, at the start. Um, why is it important? Obviously, it is hugely important from anybody that wants to. Uh, you know, remain on the pitch from from an injury prevention point of view, but also increase their performance and and it, it also keep enjoying their sport by by staying on the, on the pitch as well. Um, and how that looks from an elite point of view, and how that looks from someone that's um, you know beginning their sort of strength and conditioning journey. But also the thing that I'm picking up most about all of this is that it takes time. And you you got to be patient with it. It doesn't have to be this big sort of encompassing um, workload. You can do it little and often, but it will take some time, and you've got to rely on that process a bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the other thing I'd probably mention there is that there is no one metric necessarily that is going to dictate how good a keeper you are from an S and C standpoint. We, an S and C standpoint is. For, for me, it is it is a supporting supporting role, um, and again, it should only ever be, be a help. If S and C becomes a hindrance to actually you going out and playing hockey and being a keeper, then that's something that needs to be looked at. And because you know, if you if you say, for example, you're a keeper, you get into S and C, and then you you decide to chase a, a 1.5 times body weight squat or a two times body weight squat, whatever it is, that might be that might be useful. It might not be useful. Are you putting all of your effort and your time into chasing that number? But that number doesn't really affect how you play on the pitch necessarily. Is it good to have some has have some strength and, and, and some power? Absolutely, as we spoke about. It's, it's super important for all the reasons we spoke about earlier. But also, it's, it's not about the number. It's about how good you are as a keeper and essence how SNC supports that. But you see a lot of times with guys coming into this type of thing, they get really fixated on... Um, on the number that they're lifting and stuff like that and actually remember that's not the most important thing being a keeper is the most important thing this is only here to support that strength is a great thing but it shouldn't be chased the detriment of other things I think that's sometimes where where, where it falls down yeah Joe listen this has been absolutely fantastic and um, thank you very much for your uh, uh, amazing insight um, intelligence um, knowledge experience and and all the rest of it. Um, the, what you guys are doing down the at the locker is is fantastic, and uh, I hope uh, that once service resumes, that, that everything will be back to normal, and you can keep uh, help developing people with their um, their strength and conditioning goals uh, as as well. And uh, I hope that in the in the future we can also have a few more conversations about slightly more specific things with with regards to goalkeeping and helping our, our goalkeeping community uh, improve. Absolutely. Um, themselves around the world as well so hey, thanks very much um, and we'll see you really soon nice no, been a pleasure thanks mate. cheers Joe